You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, host of Food for the Future, a weekly podcast that brings the humanities to today's food dialogue by showcasing everyday people trying to make a difference. This show is part of the series Waste Not, featuring stories from innovators who spend their lives revitalizing our agri-food system so our human family can find the way forward together. We'll be discussing diversity and getting urban gardens ready for winter with Mystery Furtado, founder of Diabetes. Welcome, Mystery. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure to have you here. Mystery, let's start with what is Diabetes? So Type Diabetic, we are a non-for-profit that's based in London, and we support low-income, racialized, and marginalized groups who have diabetes. And we do this through food. We find that food is very much a powerful tool, and it's also empowerment. So we focus on food literacy education and actual growing of Afrocentric food to better manage diabetes using cultural lens and also empower the community to make healthier lifestyle choices. That's fantastic. You're the founder of Type Diabetes Mystery. Why did you start it? At first, my goal was only to do relief work for Belize. I'm originally from Belize. And when I migrated to Canada in 2010, I modeled a couple of the Canadian system and structure programs in Belize. And I never felt that Canada needed me. Right? I said Canada is a great country, amazing healthcare system. They don't need a little mystery. So that's how I started. But I'm a nurse, and in my process of getting my documents assessed, I worked as a clinical educator at a hospital, and I realized that there is huge gaps in service and care and resources and knowledge around diabetes in marginalized communities, specifically people that look like me. My interest for diabetes started when I was eight because I was administering insulin at the tender age of eight to my grandmother. We lived in a very remote area. I've lost my grandparents to diabetes, so it's something that I grew up being very much aware of. And while in Canada, my grandma would visit me. And every time she came, we had to drive all over town trying to find foods that she relates to. There is a lack of cultural sensitivity. There's a lack of knowledge around food. And there's actually a place for me, like this little girl from Belize, right? (laughs) And I spoke to the board and I said, there is so much for me to do here in my new home, right in my own backyard. And we hit the ground running. We worked with the food bank and we started the first Black-led community garden in London. Fantastic. So a real deep personal connection with your grandma and such a sense of purpose. You wanted to find that you were needed and you were able to find your place and your alignment and bringing something incredible to the world, whether you're um, uh, uh, in the community of uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, or whether you're somebody who just wants to know more about it or be sensitive in your own practice or life, that it's really everyone can benefit from what you're doing at Type Diabetes. Wonderful. What's your impact been today? If we look at just this year, we have provided over 500 meals to children and youths, all residing in low-income housing areas, just over the summer alone. Wow. This is a combination of food that we grew in our greenhouse because we went from four rows at the London Food Bank. We then got a greenhouse at the Western Fair. We participated in the London Neighborhood Decision Making. 
And from that, we were able to pump various ethnic vegetables like okras, kalalo, hot pepper, lemongrass, um, lettuce. We did tomatoes. We did so much. And by working collaboratively with resource centers, we did 500 meals. It's amazing how much product or uh, produce and yield you were able to get out of such a small space with the Western Fair space. So I guess we're, you're just getting started. We can't wait to see what you do next. So you implemented recently the community garden. Can you tell us more about that part of it? Not just the meals, which are fantastic, but the community garden piece. Right now, we're actually moving into 1.5 acres of land because our, our, our project just keeps growing. Right. And when we talk about growing the food, we're approaching um, and actually looking at reducing food insecurity, mm-hmm. right? That's one. And then we're looking at health. But when you're able to plant, when you're able to connect to the land, right, that puts a switch in your mind, in your brain. It's ownership now. So we work with children, youths, adults, seniors. But I've found that it's even more powerful if we're able to engage children and youths into the land. So with our garden space, it's open to families, to children to come and learn. How do I grow okra? How do I grow a lettuce? How do I grow a pumpkin? How do I grow cucumbers? Right? We did cucumbers, mm-hmm. right? We did kalalu, which is a cousin to spinach. So by coming into the greenhouse, you're learning what's on your plate, what's on your table. So when we started up the food bank, we transformed this small plot of land, right? Mm-hmm. And even the food bank staff, they were so surprised that we were able to mobilize the community. We had two-year-olds carrying little soil and throwing mulch. Oh. We have some amazing pictures. <laughs> I bet. We, it was a community where there's mom, there's dad, there are kids, there's, you know, various of age. It's like intergenerational learning. Right. So you see, you know, you hear kids say, I'll take this home for my mom. My mom is going to love that I'm doing this. And those roles fed about 10 families. Amazing. And from those little roles, we were able to take the produce and share it with about 30 families. We grew stevia. You know, in the diabetes community, we're so pumped about alternative sugars, right? And I get to educate that your body doesn't know if it's honey, $2,000 organic sugar. Your body is processing it as sugar. So when they get to bite the stevia leaf, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was a, you know? So, so much learning. So much therapy, so much connection that can be done by just being in a garden, even if it's five minutes and, and setting a seed or harvesting or weeding, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, I, I find, I think it was so powerful and it's, it's something that's fulfilling to see people come and identify with the food that you're growing and the joy in their face. Mm-hmm. And that is what gives me joy to see people connecting with what I'm planting. And we're continents away, like in Belize's fever grass. I have a lot of knowledge of African diasporic food, Middle Eastern food, Asian food, but to see someone from a different continent who also relates to this one plant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's the power. That's the help. You know, that's the connectivity. 
Right. It's building unity wherever you are. It's sort of binding time and place, right? And and it's just an incredible thing. You've talked about how you've revitalized a lot of space and you're moving into 1.5 acres. That's amazing. You've talked about what you grow. Is there any challenges for some of the things you grow in the soil that you have available to you? Because not every seed likes every level of acidity or level of sunshine or level of wind or whatever it is. Is there anything, a cha- do you have any challenges growing certain things that you'd like to I think I have a green thumb and I haven't had any challenges surprisingly, which again is a shocker to even me. (laughs) Uh, Then again, we're not growing tubers. We're growing vegetables and herbs. So one of the things we do want to try is looking at cassava. I've been doing a lot of research and how we can grow cassava in buckets. And we're going to see how it does temperature wise, but kalalu, which is a cousin to the spinach, which is known, um, that grew, that grew so, it was so beautiful in the greenhouse, limited water use, which is great. Um, so we have a lot that we can budget and we're planning for the 1.5 acres because I'm going to start off with all the vegetables that have very little water requirement mm-hmm. and they flourish so well. So Kalalu is one of them. Okras did well. Okra is a labor of love because it doesn't harvest a lot mm-hmm. on like, or plant, but it's very healthy and nutritious. Mm-hmm. Uh, green peppers, you know, peppers are packed with vitamin C. We have a variation of regular green bell peppers that required limited water, and they just kept on giving. Wow. And we grow sorrel, which is like a drink. It's like the hibiscus drink that people sell. It's known as like, uh, I think, uh, jojoba juice maybe in Africa, but it's like, it's a common plant. It's red. That grew beautifully. And oh. most people wouldn't think that sorrel would grow in a cold country. So lots of new discoveries on what is maybe a little more cool temperature resistant than any of us would have thought. So moving to the people mystery, how many people work at type diabetes in the community garden? So we're primarily volunteer led, um, which I always want people to know because we're a small but mighty team. Mm-hmm. And our volunteer groups rotate. So through community centers like Luso, we've been able to offer uh, high school community hours. And they bring anywhere from 10, 15 to 20 volunteers mm-hmm. uh, during the planting cycle. Mm-hmm. Independently of type diabetes, we have on rotation about 20 volunteers. This is our year with the most volunteers, whereby people are coming and reaching out to us. Great. So that's really, really good. Uh, we've had a family from St. Thomas drive all the I mean, it's not that far, but it's still, it's not London, right? So right. to have them drive and come volunteer. So our volunteers are rotational um, and they're mostly project aligned. Okay. So really, really just like the land that you were able to grow and grow and grow from two rows at the food bank to almost this 1.5 acres next season. Um, that you're doing the same thing with the volunteers, which is a real testament to the program and what it means to the people that work in it. That's fantastic. Thank you, Mystery, for sharing your inspiring work. After the break, we'll talk more with Mystery Furtado, founder of Type Diabetes, about getting urban gardens ready for winter. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Peggy O'Neill, host of Food for the Future. We're speaking with Mystery Furtado about building diverse communities and preparing urban gardens for winter. 
Mystery, this show is part of the series Waste Not. So growing food in as many seasons as possible and locally is a important goal. What's happening in your urban garden for winter? So because we recently acquired 1.5 acres of land, we are working with Cardinal Fine Cabinetry. They're a high-end cabinet company. And at the back of their land, they have 1.5 acres that they've entrusted into our hands to develop. So right now for the winter, we did a project proposal uh, requesting funds to till the land, uh, brush hog the bush, and get landscape fabric to cover. And I was so nervous because it's about, you know, snow can fall upon us anytime. And luckily, I must speak so highly of our London community. We were able to secure funding via the Lawson and McZee Fund. And we've been able to till the land and um, brush hog. And we're about to put the landscape fabric down. So with our current greenhouse, because it was vandalized, we need to replace it, sadly. Um, So again, when we're talking about waste, we need to talk to our community members to help smaller entities preserve and take care of what they have. So unfortunately, we are getting a new um, greenhouse and all our plants, I've learned how to harvest seeds so thanks to the growing chef, we shared a plot of land with the growing chef and they have an amazing greenhouse specialist. Her name is Ileana and she's been showing me how I can harvest seeds. So I have seeds already setting and whatever is left in the greenhouse right now, we're going to harvest more seeds and that is going to help us to set our seedlings come May and get ready to put them into the ground next year. So a lot's still happening, even though the weather's getting cold and that we have had a frost. So you're getting ready for a big season. You're harvesting your seeds and getting the ground ready and, and making sure everything's lined up and the plants and the funding are in place. So excellent work as we move forward into the colder season. What other community activities does type diabetes offer throughout the winter? Cooking and food literacy. So we run a monthly program for older adults and seniors with London Intercommunity Health Center. It's free. It's a drop-in. And we focus on ethnic recipes so they get to cook it. Um, we also talk about diabetes reductions. And all of our recipes are under $20. And they have zero to no effect on your blood sugar. At, um, older adults and seniors, we have a high school program at JP2 working with Luso. The kids get to cook during the lunch hour, ethnic recipes they get to eat. We also have a curriculum that we're hoping um, with time can be integrated into the school school system. We're able to pilot that program this year with at the Catholic school board at a grade four or five class. Great. So powerful, so interactive. The kids get their own book. Each recipe comes with a story. They get to make smoothies, salad, salad dressings, and also see the linkage between cultures, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of time we get a misconception because I'm a person of color and I'm speaking, we tend to assume it's only for people that look like me. But food is universal. Food is world knowledge. When we talk food, we bridge cultures because it's the same food across many continents. We just call it something different and we just prepare it differently. So okra is not just something for Caribbean or Africans. Middle Eastern community have staple foods out of okras, right? When we talk about beans, certain grains, so there's that linkage that I was able to see firsthand by running this curriculum. And it's something that, you know, 
I hope we're able to move forward with because I'm always hearing about equity, diversity. You know, we get so caught up with these words on paper. But what does that mean for the other person on the receiving end? Am I actually creating a safe space? Is there actually equity in our services, right? So hmm. certain barriers of the curriculum, I haven't been able to move it forward as we would like, but we're not going to give up and we're going to keep having conversations, keep talking about it. But hopefully it is something that we can see kick off um, as an organization. We did a health fair this year, uh, our first health fair, very well attended. We gave out Harvest Bucks, which is a citywide initiative um, to increase access to fresh produce so we give about $600. So we had like over 100 participants. We had Diabetes Canada. We had an intercommunity health center, HIV, a couple other resource centers, kidney. We hope that program is going to be able to grow more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we offer a lot of volunteer opportunities as well for college and university. So we work with Western, about five Western students right now working with us. Right. And we do a 5K run once a year to raise funds. Never a dull day. And I like the way that the idea of unity just keeps coming back to me as I hear you speak and that, you know, whether that's that common thread around how we have expressed a culture through the way we prepared, whether it was spinach or if it was okra or if it was a grain, that it has been used in many ways, but it is still the same item. And so it's a bit of a unifier. And we can learn so much from each other about, well, how do you make it? And how do you make it? And, you know, really start to get some fusion happening with, oh, I'm going to try a little bit of what I learned today um, from another culture, another part of the world, and then, you know, maybe make my recipe even better. So it's an amazing experience what you're offering. And this show, we try to bring the humanities to today's food dialogue, and that includes ingenuity. So how can ingenuity help expand community gardens for diverse individuals? I think the concept of unity, collaboration, and working together, um, I think, is under underutilized. I think ingenuity is not that hard. It's not something that's rocket science. I think it can actually be pretty basic, and it comes in our willingness to have conversation, and it comes in our willingness to really want to work together and make change. We've been able to survive these three years as a volunteer-led group because I capitalize partnership and networking. And that in itself is ingenuity. You know what? It's um, fascinating what you said, that innovation can be communication. You know, we think science, technology, and those are really important things, but innovation can just be new conversations, agreeing to do something, partner and strategy. And all of a sudden you've got 1.5 acres uh, this summer, 500 meals, and that is ingenuity. Wonderful. This show is called Food for the Future. And how does expanding the urban growing season as long as possible help create a brighter way forward together? From a health perspective, not having access to food is where the first break in the chain for having a sustainable, healthy lifestyle begins. Mm -hmm. And when you look at new immigrant population, refugee population, second, third generation, these are habits that we carry on into the next generation. So if we're able to honestly increase access to resources, to food, to education, that comes with sustaining the garden. I think that is where the true change relies on. I'm bringing you on this journey to understand. You see sometimes where ethnic people will discard certain food because they just don't know what to do with it, right? right? Yeah. They don't understand. Yeah. So when we did our program, that was intentful. I'm not just going to give it to you. You need to understand why. You need to come and see. So that even if it's not 
an ethnic produce, part of cultural competency is being able to eat what is easily grown here and accessible. We're more than just addressing food insecurity. We're, we're impacting a future generation. Ms. Reed, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? I'd just like to remind listeners that access is not equity. Right. Just because okay. it's accessible doesn't mean that it's easily available to everyone in the community. And Rome wasn't built in a day and we cannot solve all the world's issues, but collaboratively we can ensure that these resources are getting to who we intend to get them to. Right. And a, a great takeaway and final thought for us all to remember that um, access is an equity, that that involvement, that being part of it, that building the community and having that control over watching what grows, what is planted, when it's harvest and, and those community experiences you've been talking about before the break. Thank you so much, Mystery, for helping us understand more about diversity and community gardens and for their role in overwinter and for all of the encouragement. Thank you. I'm so glad that I was here. I'm really thrilled you were here too. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Mystery Furtado, founder of Type Diabetes, about diversity, community gardens, and preparing for winter. Each week, to keep revitalizing our communities together, we leave you and your family or friends with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, how could you support diversity in local food over winter? Something to do, visit Type Diabetes to see how one team is expanding community food for global encouragement. Next week on the show, it's the series Our World. We'll discuss the United Nations World Soil Day coming up on December 5th with Antonius Petro, Executive Director of Regeneration Canada. Don't miss a show. Subscribe on Curious Cast and all other major podcast platforms. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our Platinum Elite Level sponsor, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts.